Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. The Athletic. Welcome back to the Races MotoGP in-depth podcast with myself, Toby Moody. Now, last time out, we caught up with Jeremy McWilliams, hearing all about his intro to Grand Prix racing, podiums, beating Valentino Rossi in 250 and indeed in 500, and then what it was like to work with Kenny Roberts's team in MotoGP. This week, it's a slight step on from that, well, sideways or towards the back of the garage, in that I'm again going to catch up with Tom Jojic, who was in the garage at Team Roberts when Jeremy was there before going on to work with other teams and other manufacturers. Tom and I did a series of podcasts here on the race a few weeks ago, so search back into the episodes and find our chats about... 500cc monsters, the genius of Casey Stoner, 990s and the birth of modern MotoGP and the science of MotoGP aero. But up to date, we're now three races into 2023, so we thought that we'd reconnect. So, Tom, who'd have thunk it that Betseki, Mooney VR46 and Ducati are all heading the title chase... And the world champion, Banyaya, has been it twice in three races. Yeah, what a great um, what a great way to start the season for the fans. You know what I mean? <laughs> Not a great way for Pecco. Great for Ducati, though, because like the package is so good that the uh, satellite team is leading the championship, satellite rider. And not just one, like there, there's a couple of them up there, right? So again, you know, Ducati did a great job in the last few years, like we talked about, we did that first podcast, Toby, which was Arrow and mostly about Ducati, wasn't it? Like how they won two world championships in all those years of trying. And now it's payback time because it's really hard to see anybody beating them at the moment. Beating, I can see them beating each other, which is what we're seeing at the moment. Peko crashing twice is, um, it's not unheard of. But yeah, when you're a world champion and almost a world champion the year before that, You'd think that maybe like the pressure would be off in some aspects. Like he could maybe, you know, working with riders at that level, Toby, you know, I have quite a few experiences. When you're backing it up, like you're back, you're trying to defend your world championship. I, I think it's a little bit easier than winning the first one. You know, winning the first one is always the hardest one. There's no doubt about that. But maybe now people are looking at him going, well, you should be winning like that. What are you crashing for? Why, why are you crashing? So. Yeah, it's it's an interesting start to the season, and it's um, definitely good to see. I like it when satellite teams can fight for a championship. Mm-hmm. Have you seen riders just get completely befuddled in their heads? Have you seen that ultimate sportsman psychological crash? Well, definitely. I mean, I I think you, the question is why is he why is he crashing when he's in the lead of a race, right? That's like when you're leading, he, he's done it before, right? Like he lost that championship when he crashed in Misano two years or before, right? And he, he was trying to hold on by the string of his, yeah. by the skin of his teeth. But yeah. yeah. So I, I think 
motorsport's dangerous, right, Toby? We all know that. And these guys are on the limit. Like, they are on the limit. There, There is no, like, easy race wins anymore. Like, sometimes you see a big gap and they've got a big, like, they're doing really well and they're three seconds ahead. But it still isn't easy. Like, you still are on the limit of crashing almost all the time. So what's that, what's happening there is just getting his head around whatever's happened to you in the tires, whatever the new bike is compared to last year's bike. Don't forget Bezeki's riding last year's bike, I guess. So that mm-hmm. that means he, he they the team probably has some data already from running that bike last year. How different is it from what they had? It's probably closer to what they had last year than maybe what what Pecco's got. So yeah, there's things to iron out throughout the year, and and once he stops crashing, like. You know, it's it's easier to stop the fast guys crashing off the front than it is to get guys fast. That used to be the saying, right? There was enough to do when you were in the garage. There was enough data. There were mm. enough parameters being measured on the motorcycle. Um, is it, you know, there's even more aero. Now, I know that, you know, an aerodynamic device on the front is technically connected to the same aerodynamic device that's connected on the tail, on the side. You know, it is one unit. It doesn't flex. There are no movable items. But is the is there too much for the engineers to to balance out? Is it is it too much, or are you hmm. like, ah, this is prototype racing? Chuck it in. Go on. I think the aero deserves to stay in prototype racing. I think it shouldn't it shouldn't venture onto road bikes and it shouldn't venture into super bikes. That's it's it's prototype racing is prototype racing for a reason like it's something that they should try to use and maybe like the shape of the fairing due to a wing in prototype could arrive on a let's say a production bike you know because they could learn how to make the bike more stable blah 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 whatever so i think the aero stuff should be there Uh, and um and they should try to figure out how to use it to their advantage and and what what they need to do to optimize their package that podcast we did on the aero stuff was i listened to it back a couple times toby i i I was quite surprised at at um remembering what i could remember and like seeing stuff that happens now it's it's really good technology that um, deserves to be there i think they could control it in other ways to make it more interesting you know like leave the arrow let let them do the arrow there's already limitation on what they can do like it can't be too big it can't be too wide can't be too tall blah 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 so yeah there there's stuff for prototype engineers to do and that makes it interesting for them right Mm, It'd be very interesting, and of course we don't know what the human mind will engineer and create. It'll be very mm. interesting to see what the limit might be of yeah. aero, because you know what your engineers are like, oh, let's stick another one on. <laughs> well, yeah, sometimes you find stuff by accident, especially in the wind tunnel, like you stumble across something, and and then next thing you know, like you've created a package like Ducati have now that is an extremely powerful package, it seems to drive off corners very well. And now there used to always be a motorcycle that struggled with front tire grip, crashing on the front. And then Bridgestone tires helped them win that championship in 07 with Casey. And then, you know, then they have to solve the problem when everybody's got Bridgestones or everybody's got Bitchlands now. And so, like, yeah, the arrow's there for a good reason for them. And they've used it to their advantage. And it's also, we don't want domination. I said that before, Toby. I still believe in that. I still think you want all the manufacturers there you want other 
teams able to win. And luckily, a Honda won Texas, which was great, great to see. Rins. Um, Rins is a, is a Texas specialist. If you go back in his history, he smoked everybody in Moto3 there on a KTM. And he, he was extremely, he likes to racetrack. So like it, it suited him. And it also is a good thing for Honda because now they've got a satellite rider that's won a race and the factory guys aren't anywhere at the moment. So that that's kind of a good thing. Showed a few people up, didn't he? Yeah. And, and you know, for me, the arrow could be a de- detriment to a Honda from my understanding. But again, I've been away for the paddock. So, you know, maybe they've changed and solved some of the problems they had in the past. But for sure, they've used the arrow to try to make their package better. My, I think the limiting factor should be, well... There's more to it than just a technological thing. Like, I think some of the things you want to talk about here, like, which are coming up, um, you know, could could also help, like, stabilize the situation. Because we've got a lot of races, Toby, yeah? Mm. Like, as in, there's 21 Grand Prix this year, plus you've got sprint races. So there's, um, there's a limit to what you can do as an engineer in that garage when you're just racing and not testing which free practice and qualifying practice, I always looked at as a test. We need to make the bike right so that they can race on Sunday. And anything you lead, anything you do up to that Sunday morning warm up is something that you've learned based on what your problems are and your riders' problems are. And then you give them the best package on Sunday and he races. So now that you, you've, you've shortened that, yeah, the, the teams have less opportunity to use their, let's say, engineering tools during a race weekend because they've got a sprint race to deal with on on Saturday. Saturday, yeah. A tiny yeah. little warm up on Sunday, and then you got another race to deal with on Sunday, which is the main race. So mm. that's difficult. So what mm. what does that do to prototype development? Well, I think it makes it harder to do development. God, devil you do, devil you don't. You just had more time to experiment, mm. and that's gone now. You know, uh, that's yeah. gone. You practice know. practice sessions were yeah. key. You know, you needed, if you go back to the ultimate year of 2006, the 990 at its peak, you had four hours of practice, an hour of practice, an hour of qualifying, an hour of practice, an hour of qualifying. So Friday, Saturday, you had two hours. And then Sunday morning, you had a 20-minute warm-up, and then you had the race. So, you know, when you go back to that situation, and I think back to the the amount of things I had options, like one of the greatest examples was like, Somebody described it like this, you know, I think I even said it in a previous podcast to be, you know, a blind man can hit the sign of a barn with a machine gun, but it takes a sniper from 2000 meters away to line his scope up and take a shot. And in Grand Prix racing, every exit is one shot of the bullet. Yeah. Sometimes the rider's got to ride something he knows. And sometimes you give him something new and then you have to verify, is that better than what we did before? Isn't it? And if you can't back check, go forward, back check, go forward. It, it, sometimes you you get behind the eight, eight ball and then maybe something like that is like Peko thinks, okay, oh, my bike's perfect, but then all of a sudden he tucks to front and complains that his bike's too stable or whatever. And then next thing you know, that's put a doubt in his mind because he's crashed when he thinks he shouldn't mm. have, you know, mm. that, that I remember like for me, the number one thing was a rider would come back after a crash and look at the data with you and you would explain to him, you crashed. In my experience, looking at this data, I'm not blaming, I'm just saying the facts show that you carried more corner speed, more lean angle, blah, 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 whatever it was. Then it's up to them to be 
honest with themselves and everybody else and go, no, that was my fault. Oh, really? Is that what happened? Or where's the Michelin guy or Bridgestone guy or Dunlop guy? Like what, what happened with that front tire? Like it, they need to know why. They can't put their head in the sand. Yeah. Mm, yeah, yeah. Because mm. the, the helicopter that, shot of him yeah. falling off when he was leading, I, I said mm. at the time, oh, he looked just a little bit wide there. And sure enough, the next day he said, oh, it was a little bit wide. Uh, I'm not trying to be a smart aleck here, but he was just that little bit further out and there's just that little yeah. bit less grip and they are on the limit. If it's, if it's windy and you're at a dusty racetrack in the desert, Texas, you know, I mean, a little bit offline and or buildup of rubber, which on a dry racetrack can be slippery. So you go into those marbles a little bit. Mm. You tuck the front and you already have a motorcycle that had a front end problem that you fixed with aero. And now you've got something pushing that tire into the ground, but all of a sudden you've run wide. So then you got to keep the lean angle on when you wouldn't. You would usually stand it up and drive out of the corner. Next thing you know, you're on the deck because you're already at 65 degrees lean angle. There's no more. You know, elbows are on the ground here. We're not talking about like, oh, I know, I'll just lean it over a little bit more. Like Joe Public or or the club racer, there the level is so much different. Mm, right? There's nothing left yeah. at this level. No, 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 no. It'd be there, interesting there to no... know the stats of the f of the front end downforce compared to last year to this year, and if it's another couple of kilos here or whatever, we'll never know the answer to that question. No, I mean an engineer in Ducati will, but but um, us general public people uh, we won't, won't, won't have a clue. <laughs> and even people in the team would, won't really know. Mm. You know, the, the rider's kind of got a feeling and he's like, I, I don't understand why my bike feels so different if that's what he's saying. Um, but then that's down to the communication between the race team and the factory. Mm -hmm. and, the, and the and the tires are the same so yeah well you know, they're they? being squashed the, the the carcass the structure is being squashed more and more downforce is yeah. upon it if they haven't changed the construction of the tire or where it's made or it's, let, let's say some some chemical because these tires are chemicals now right they're not yeah. they're not rubber tree tires if they haven't changed something like i remember tire engineers coming and saying no it's the same but it wasn't the same because it was a different chemical in there and the reaction was different so so that it's not the same yeah <laughs> it's the same but different you know yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. it's black and round but that's about that's about the only thing that's the same about it but i mean yeah there's a lot of equations to there's a lot of things to figure out as a race engineer and that's where polishing the end result is what your job is Whereas the development people in the background, knowing that the wings are bigger or this one's smaller or this one does this or, you know, that's where their job is. Well, hang on. We've had three now where, I've, where the top guy's crashed and he's, he was leading the championship and now he isn't. The old bike is actually, there's a satellite rider leading it on the old bike. Hang on. What have we done different? Like that's kind of, that's the development guy's job. That's what I would have done in the background where you would go like, okay, hang on. Have we gone too far here? Like a step backwards isn't a step backwards. It's just realizing that sometimes going backwards is the right direction because you've gone too far one way. But Quattararo did this with mm. his last year on the Petronas Yamaha. Yeah. It was better when they'd ironed out the bugs. Mm. And this, arguably, at the moment, this betseki ducati is better than the current factory one and we saw it a couple of times way back sometimes even with the pramac early pramac ducatis you know 980 yeah yeah how is it that 
yeah, how, yeah, I've, I've answered my own question. They've ironed the bugs out of it, and they know the operating window is just from here to here, whereas the operating window for a new bike is a wider playing field. Yeah. Is it the that al- simple? Mm. It could be, yeah. Like, ultimately, what what a development person does, development engineer goes, okay, well, in 2023, our target is to improve front tire feeling with less aero. I don't know. Let's just take let's take a stab at that. Yeah. So during 2022, what we did was we put these wings on the bike and made it better. We used this electronics. We tried this fork. We always end up racing the hard tire, soft tire, whatever it is. So you look at that equation. The team's always running soft springs, hard springs, this damping, blah, 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 this fork angle, this trail. Then you're you would look at all the team's data, and Ducati has the advantage of having a whole bunch of teams that had riders win races and be near the front. So they've got a wealth of data because they're all sharing data, looking at it. And then they can go, okay, well, from a setting point of view, everybody's kind of migrated over in this ballpark. So that points us in the direction that geometrically maybe we don't have enough load on the front so let's shorten the head pipe whatever like it could be that simple right then they come with a new bike which does this but the testing is limited now mm, very you know and t- if you think back to those days when we were there toby mm. you'd go we did ten thousand k's before the season started crack on yeah yeah yeah, yeah, you wore you wore three engines out before you started racing, and so like if you didn't do your job properly as a race team in my day, you got to the first race, you, you were in trouble if you were if you were behind because you had the chance. There was tons of testing. Now we've got less testing, more racing, mm. and now you get to a racetrack and you got less time because they've um, put another race in. <laughs> well, yeah, they need to. I don't know what they're thinking. In my opinion, there, like I. I I don't know. More racing isn't better, in my opinion. Yeah, that's another sporting discussion. That's another yeah, topic. That's another topic. Yeah. But and yeah. I agree with you. Uh, have it- as an engineer, I'm saying, you know, like yeah. if I, if I was if I was in that garage, and I look at the schedule that we've got now, yeah, and I look back at what I used to do and what I like to do, which was polish the product for the rider. You know, Saturday's a write-off. Mm. What are you going to do with two 50-minute qualifyings? You, you, you rarely ride both of them. And anyway, you're not trying anything in qualifying. You're putting a tire in and giving him a soft tire, and he's going out there. He needs to know what he's riding. you got a 30-minute free practice on Saturday morning, but it's at the wrong time of day. Mm. So what do you learn at 10 o'clock over <laughs> a 2 o'clock race start? Fifth, mm. Sorry, 3 o'clock on Sunday race start. So Well, yeah. so, I mean, you know, with those practice sessions, free practice one and free practice three, in the olden days, they were also in the morning, right? So, you you can you you have to accept that the conditions are different, and and granted, they, you will granted. learn if you do if you do your job properly. But yeah, the afternoon ones were qualifying in the afternoon on a Friday afternoon or Saturday afternoon. Those were always the ones that made they made the difference, and that's why a long a one hour qualifying session where you didn't just throw tires at it. You know, the first thirty minutes was bike setup on race tires and then you put the soft tires in and, and the last oh, yeah. 15 minutes was yeah. was crazy madness like let's try and do a lap time but that, now that we just have good. the 15 minutes they've just yeah. cut out the the engineering part which was exactly in this day and age yeah, yeah. and the playstation generation they and tiktokers they they don't want to watch 45 minutes of engineering they want to watch entertainment and i'm inclined to agree with them yeah, I, um, I'm old school. From, yeah. from my point yeah, of view, yeah. and the, the the sprint 
race, can't call it a race, the sprint race, uh, is I was anti it. And then I watched the first two and I went, holy smoke, this is good. And then, of course, you'd watch the main race, which was double the length the next day. And you get halfway through and you go, oh, this is going on a bit. <laughs> yeah. It, it, it almost makes you think that they should just make it two sprint races if they're going to do that. I, I personally, I'm not a fan of sprint racing because it's like, it's like that thing, Toby, like if you, if you like the taste of champagne and you drink it every day. What do you drink to celebrate? Exactly. What's the point? Like, yeah. I, I understand why they're doing it because they need the viewership because other championships are doing it and all the rest of it. But the, this is a different level. Like, we're not talking about, like, the, the Grand Prix level is so high and the risks are so high. And to lose that championship, the pressure is massive. That's mm. what Peko's feeling. That you crash. And then the thing is, it's just more chance to get hurt, in my opinion, and less chance to understand why the bike is good or bad. So for from the team's point of view, I don't think it's, I don't think there's any positive to come out of this year's format. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Tom, have you ever engineered a motorcycle where the rider just says, I can't ride that, and you know, or you think, or you strongly believe it's a faster thing, but he just says, I can't do it, I can't do it, I'm banging my head, I've got no feel. Have you ever come across that? Yeah, I've been there. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, that's a, that's a tough place to be because um, it depends on knowing where you've come from. And... I, I guess we're talking about Peko, are we here? Is this is this the main thing? We're yeah, about? I suppose so. Yeah. But I'm going to follow it up with yeah. an F1 story as well. Oh, okay. Yeah, like, I mean, especially like Peko's a good example. You know, it's not his first year on a Ducati. He's now world champion. He's crashed pre-champion, winning it during it, and now this year leading it and crashed, and, and maybe he's not enjoying his bike at the moment. And some other guys are winning races on maybe his old bike, you know. and um, Literally. Yeah, so for sure I could see his frustration and feel his pain. And what he's got to do is just um, maybe look at it from the other perspective in the fact that, okay, I just have to keep telling my engineers that this what whatever we've done here is maybe not perfect. Like, wh what do we need to do to, to make sure I don't have this problem in the future? And being the factory rider, he, he'll have the most support. So if they need to pull the covers off a dusty one in the, back in Bologna and bring it to the racetrack. Don't worry, they'll do that. They got to do that, it. Mm. That won't be a problem. His biggest problem could potentially be that they have to homo 
homologate the engines at the beginning of the year. And let's say that um, last year's engine doesn't fit. Doesn't fit. Yeah. Yeah, yeah and, whatever. And, and, then, and, and what they've gone with is is done. Is done. Yeah. They, yeah. they might have backed themselves into a corner like that. I don't know. I, I'm not at the racetrack, mm-hmm. so it's hard to know the ins and outs. Mm-hmm. But the, if that happens, then you're in trouble. Yeah. yeah, but as you say, you can change the chassis willy nilly. You can throw them in. Yeah, uh, yeah, ten a penny. No, the F one yeah. story is in nineteen ninety three. It was the the epitome of of, of active rides, of a lot of um, semi auto stuff, a lot of automation, mm. and a lot of the cars were quicker. You know, the active suspension that had been developed by Williams, Paddy Lowe, Mm. was exceptional. It was exceptional the year before with Mansell at the helm. He won the championship and then eventually Prost did win the championship in 93 after a sabbatical. But he still admitted, I couldn't really fully connect to the car yeah um the year before his uh, the the uh, the mansell teammate ricardo Pedrezzi, he couldn't connect to the car it just felt anodyne and you and i have ridden motorbikes where you love the feel of the front and then you ride something else and you go is it even connected to the ground mm. um and we're just amateurs so yeah it, yeah. it, it has happened before in in the world of motorsport where there's just no feel. I mean, you might have even had it when you were testing with with Le Mans cars, mm. where you were before you came fully over to two wheels, Tom. Yeah, just yeah. Go, oh, there's just no feel. Just no feel. Mm, that's true. It's weird. And and if you think back to that Prost era, that time, like that was a fully active car where electronics were doing things that riders drivers should be feeling and and finding the limit of right where. MotoGP is is an electronic war at the moment, isn't it? Never mind the aero war. The electronic war is out of control. Even with a single ECU, it still is. Like I think that the number one way to make the racing more interesting is to do a better job in in the electronics department. Um, how we manage that? Interesting with the onboard from last weekend in Texas. Uh, I forget who it was. I think it might even have been Rins during the race. And you've got the graphics on the screen and there's a green bar and it's going, oh, how much throttle is he applying? Mm. And it went all the way from zero to to maximum. Mm. If the graphics are right, and I don't know whether or not there's a bit of a factor built in, but mm. it didn't go, because it would have done, because he's got a load of torque and three to break when it's at the top end now admittedly it's not at the top end when it's accelerating out off the apex yeah, yeah. but there's a lot of clever electronics there. and it also depends on what they're displaying they might be displaying rider demand which is him opening the th- which is what i meant yeah if they're displaying yeah. rider demand but the engine isn't giving him that because it knows that it can't give him that due to all the sophistication of all the electronics What's the point, Toby? I mean, for me... That's what I'm saying. Yeah, for Mm. me, that's the wrong way to go racing. If we go, we can scroll this back to Aragon, 2013, I think it was, when um, Mark Marcus showed up, yeah? And he he cut the wire. Remember that? Danny Pedrosa's... Oh, Danny's bike. At the chicane at the bus stop. Correct. His, His... Let's see. I can't remember if... I think Mark was maybe on the left of Danny. So Mark's brake lever got caught in Danny Pedrosa's rear wheel speed sensor wire, cut the wire, and Danny touched the throttle and flipped and high-sided. 
Yeah. There and then. Yeah, yeah. And so I remember, and and then those were the days pre, um, so Honda were using their own ECU, right? Th- those were the days pre-single ECU, yeah? But I remember I was in a satellite team um, with the 250 world champion Oyama, Hiroshi Oyama, and we were always 1.4 to 1.8 seconds off, 18 corners at Aragon, 0.1 of a second every time you touch the throttle is 1.8 seconds. So it's really simple math. Like that's just simple math. And I remember having this discussion with, um, I, it might've even been Mike Webb, you know, the technical director now in, in MotoGP saying, well, if you want to, was. Yeah, if you was. want to control this properly, mate, like that ability of riders to trust opening the throttle like that needs to be stopped because mm. where's the respect of the 280, 300 horsepower that you have now? So I think the problem could be that like if you have too much electronics you lose feel because you're relying on something to to do a job that you should be doing and that was valentino's biggest complaint about going to ducati was that nobody could ride stoner's bike because stoner was able to ride something that was more electronic and a wild beast but he also trusted that and he was and is in my opinion one of the most exceptional riders and we did that podcast just on casey and that's because like he he learned how to tame that in his own way and and they used electronics to help him but i don't think i still think he would have won the championship had they not had that level of sophistication and i think the championship would be better because of a, a less sophisticated electronic system mm. like i said before split it in half so make two cylinders connected to the rider's right wrist in opening and closing. So that you can't do any engine braking control on those two cylinders or torque delivery control. And now you've got a hundred, let's say 150 horsepower in his right wrist, which is what 600 road bikes are today. And these are world champions. If they can't control it, who can? So I think that that would change the playing field and make the racing more interesting. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Now then, all sorts of rumors continuing to emanate about Yamaha changing from a inline four to a v4 so four cylinders across the frame to a v4 it's what majority of people have had for uh, for so long of course yamaha are now the only 
only fielding two bikes, and they're the only two bikes left with an inline four now that Suzuki have gone. Is it staring them in the face that V4 is the way forward? Um, you've worked with V4s, you've worked with V twins, you've worked with singles, and you've worked with an inline four and a V5. Mm. Um, so you know, is it? Are they are they are they stuck in the mud? Are they trying to be too road bike and what's good for their customers? Well, yeah, that's a difficult one. I mean, it doesn't help hmm. that Suzuki pulled out, but Suzuki also won the last few a couple of the last few races, which makes you think they shouldn't have pulled out. Personally, I don't think they should have. I think the inline four has a place in Grand Prix, and and the, the electronic discussion that we just had would solve that problem for them so may, maybe the mating maybe for the v4 is the absolute perfection in this prototype class but also like there's something good about it not being a v4 so i understand fabio's frustration the negative side is the fact that maybe maybe he needs to try a v4 and, and actually realize that how good his yamaha is um Mm. he's 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 only ever ridden yamaha right in the MotoGP class because he came up and rode yeah the satellite bike so in some ways it's really difficult to see to to just say you know what v4s need to go away uh, inline fours need to go away because they're they're not the right way to be but it's it's a tough call like i think ducati having like you know honda was dominating for so many years and and they're not anymore and they were they were v's the five then the four there are four now, but Ducati have always been a V4. But the going back to the aero side of things and then understanding electronics and using all those tools to solve their problems, they've done such a good job that everybody's now standing back and and second guessing riders that, that is, second guessing what they've got underneath them. And the thing is only they really know how they have to ride their bike to try to beat the other guys around them. And if they're all if they've already got this self-doubt of some description that's always going to be something that's going to be hard to overcome. Mm. And it, and like you said, Engineer there's only the two garage. Of, yeah, that's really difficult. And we know they've got a couple, they've picked up a couple of really amazing Suzuki engineers that understand how to make an inline for work. Um, so maybe the, maybe the, the dust needs to settle a little bit and, and also get away from, I don't think Argentina and Texas would be the ideal Yamaha racetracks, right? There's certain racetracks that always suited a Yamaha and certain racetracks that didn't, yeah. And I don't... Bruno. Tech, yeah. Uh, Barcelona was always good. Bruno was always good. Jerez was always a Yamaha racetrack. You know, so... Yeah, like, it's um, it's difficult. If Yamaha... I'd be surprised if Yamaha haven't got one in their test facility somewhere and they're, and they're checking. But, but also, like, they have such a good history and they understand their package so well. I think for Yamaha, the best thing they could do is get two young riders and have another satellite team and then have somebody show up their top rider, which is what kind of Fabio did to get to where he is. I still think Fabio could win this championship, you know, but it, it is like something that sometimes you, you have to look at what you've got is like, well, I'm the only one who's got this. So this is a good thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Why Levio went for Bridgestone for Ducati. Yeah, you've got to look at the positives of your package and iron out the negatives and then defend on the mm. parts where you need to defend. Mm. You need, put it this mm. way, with a Yamaha, you're not going to pass a Ducati down the street, mate. Uh, not in Canton Hills. Yeah. And and who who passed who passed a Ducati down the street in Texas? Not many, eh? 
Uh, quite, yeah, quite. Oh, yeah. So you're always going to have that problem. Yeah. So, talking about engineering things out of the garage, what's it like to keep a team spirit when things are going well? Uh, you know, you, you you weren't the team principal, you weren't the team manager, but when all the pieces of the puzzle get more in line than not with the vibe, with the travel, with the bussing in the morning, with a few beers on a Sunday night. You just know it's right, don't you, when you're in a team like that. And I'm I'm saying this because I'm thinking about the Mooney VR46 squad. They've got to be, mm. blimey O'Reilly, we're leading here. How do we get there then? Yeah, well, actually, they got there <laughs> through bloody hard work and some yeah, very yeah. clever people. So Definitely. let's not d- diss them in any shape or form, you know. There's some clever guys there and girls as well. So... They um they gotta do well to keep it, and that's not an easy thing, is it? No, it's not, but but the the thing is when you're on you're on riding that wave and things are going up, like it's 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 easier because you've got like okay, okay, we're having a party after this race and, and everybody's there, time to chill out and relax, and then talking to your Ducati engineers and discussing stuff and you know, your rider's feeling great and he's having a good time and, and it's it's not a difficult thing. It's just keeping everything also in focus, like not just keeping your doing your homework between races, making sure you're prepared for the short practice sessions you do have and and then staying on top of it, like because it, it can turn on you so quickly. But yeah, it's um, it's easier to keep it floating at the top than it is to get to the top. Hey, Toby, that's my experience. I, I had a few years staying at the top which was amazing but i had a heck of a lot more years trying to get there so i think those ones where you're at the top and and staying there are they should just embrace it and enjoy it and don't don't start thinking about winning the championship just look at every day as okay what's the maximum we can get out of today who 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 do what do we need to do to make our guy faster that's as simple it's just keep it as simple as that keep his lead yeah Yeah. well it's not even that you don't talk about keeping the lead i think for me it's about as an engineer it was really easy when um when we were able to win races and i always said to my rider well what do you need to do to go what do i need to do for you to that you can go faster and don't worry about the lead you've got like just if if the bike doesn't turn as good as you want in high speed corners, let's solve that problem. If the bike doesn't stop as good. And so in a team, for me, it's really easy if you just keep it like that. Don't think about anything else but solving the problem that's in front of your face. Stay in that moment and then mm-hmm. do your homework, go to the next race. The team principal's going to want to have a party because we're leading the championship and you know your sponsors want to get involved and they want you to there then that can be hard as a team in when you're inside a team like all of a sudden you know marco bezecchi's being told you need to fly to here because of this sponsor you need to go there and and all the rest of it so yeah that that's a different problem that a team manager's got to deal with but yeah as an engineer it's really easy he's even though he won he's still gonna have he's gonna still be able to come back and go yeah, my bike started spinning like a little bit too much here, or, and then it's just keep it, keep it easy, keep it simple like that. You you can always find fault in winning, also, right? Well, he's doing pretty well at the moment, isn't he, Betzeki? Mm. Leading by eleven points in the world championship. The team uh, Mooney VR forty six are leading by twenty nine, and Ducati are leading by forty nine. Whoa! Holy smoke! <laughs> mm. 
and um, Alex Rins gets Honda out of jail and gets them up to second in the Constructors' Championship. But we're only three races in, so it absolutely matters not one single jot. No. They only no. add up the points at one point in the season. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. As I'm sure Kenny Senior would all remind you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I've got a great saying, but I can't say it on this. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know the one. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. But we can see him waddling yeah. through the garage mm. with both hands on his hips. Well, guys. Yeah, don't. yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> don't celebrate too quick. Yeah, yeah. We haven't won it yet. Mm. That's the polite version. Exactly. Everybody. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> Tom, super stuff. Uh, great to catch up. And uh, yeah, interesting times with this new sprint format. Whether or not it's right or wrong, it's here to stay. And yeah. from my point of view, the sprint in Texas wasn't quite as exciting as the previous two uh, from Portugal and then Argentina but hey it's uh, it's never going to be champagne every day as you quite rightly say no I uh, should have brought that expression up it's one in the back of my head but uh, but you quite mm. rightly remembered it at the right time but yeah. it's still great sport that's the end of it you know they uh, uh, Hareth next race then they'll be on to Mugello proper racetracks proper stuff yeah yeah, they're into once they get back to Europe, it always gets really good, doesn't it? it and there's, there's um, hopefully some good weather on the horizon, and yeah, some good racing. Let's see what happens. Tom Jojic, ladies and gentlemen, bringing us up to speed with some MotoGP in-depth chats. Uh, as I said earlier on in this podcast, do go back and search into the episodes of the Race MotoGP podcast. Uh, around Christmas time, early January, that Tom and I did some chats about the 500s, the genius of Casey Stoner, the science of MotoGP aero, and also probably the one that we enjoyed the most, the birth of modern MotoGP four-stroke Grand Prix racing and the 990cc era. In the meantime, Tom and I will sign off. From me, Toby Moody, do keep in touch with the-race.com for all of your MotoGP news. Goodbye for now. The Athletic.